Drink This Beer is brought to you by The Beer Guys. BeerGuysRadio.com is where you need to go to get the scoop on what's going on in craft beer. That's BeerGuysRadio.com. And if you like the show, consider becoming one of our sponsors. Head to Patreon.com slash BeerGuys. That's Patreon.com slash BeerGuys. Welcome to Drink This Beer, a show dedicated to craft beer and the people who make it. Each episode, we'll get the stories behind the brews you love. Now, here are your hosts, Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? And welcome to another edition of Drink This Beer, the podcast that gets in-depth to the craft beer and the brewers that you love to drink. I'm Aaron Williams. And I'm Tim Dennis. And this week, we are talking to Rivertown Brewing, and we have owner Jason Roper on with us. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks for having me. Uh, Definitely. So, yeah, appreciate you uh, coming on and appreciate you sending your beers, by the way. I, of course. I, I want to compliment whoever sent your beers because it was actually one of the best packed beer packages I've ever seen in my <laughs> yes. life. You know, when, when you when you wind up with a whole bunch of broken beers through your career, you uh, you find ways you, to, you know how to, pack. to make sure that doesn't yeah. happen again, right? Yes, yes. And we were talking off air just a little bit before we started the interview that we're geeking out on these uh, these growlers that you've got here. So I know you can't see this. We'll post some pictures of it, but it's a one liter aluminum reusable growler, and it's literally the coolest thing ever. Well, thank you. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, we, we promote those as beer to go. So, uh, obviously, up our way, um, you know, we, we can do growler sales, and right. uh, we, we were right off a of bike trail was where our old location was at. So, literally, we would have people roll up and just, God, you know, I wish I could take a pint with me. And, and someone brought those in one day and said, man, these are the coolest things. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm, I'm investing in that, that's for sure. Well, that's funny because, so, yeah, we're, here in Atlanta, we've got a place called the Beltline, which is a big bike and uh, walking trail. And there have been literally about 8 million breweries and brew pubs that are opening along this thing. So that would be perfect for them. So Yeah. yeah. And we're actually sipping your Sour Noir right now. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that beer? Well, the Sour Noir is, um, yeah, it's kind of a collaborative effort with a, uh, uh, a local roastery that we work with uh, here in Cincinnati called La Terza. They actually uh, uh, make all the coffee for our Roebling blend as well. So they do um, <clears throat> cold uh, cold presses and fusions, do a lot of nitro uh, coffee kegs and things of this nature. Um, and we went over to them, we were just kind of talking. We're like, you know, I'd really love to do a coffee-infused sour beer. And uh, the more we talked with them, they were like, well, you know, I mean, coffee traditionally, you get a lot of roast, a lot of chocolate. Um, you get a lot of acrid notes, which usually doesn't play well when it comes to sours. So mm-hmm. we were like, well, let's 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 think about this for a little bit, and we kind of had a had a baseline we were working on with with an all uh, uh, stainless fermentation with some different types of lactose strains. So we'd already had an inoculated bash that we were playing around with, um, which was the base porter, and we thought, you know what, if we could infuse some kind of like a like a like a date cherry kind of a yada yada yada, and the guys from the Terza were like, you know, we got just the thing that we've got some some uh, South American um, uh, type of, uh, you know, beans that are real fragrant. And so anyway, long story short, they took those beans and they aged them actually in a bourbon barrel. Um, They aged them for, oh, my gosh, um, I think probably a good month and then pulled those back out. They went through the roasting process and then went through a cold press and infusion. And then we actually brought that back into the beer and then re-aged that. So it was just—it was a really complex beer um, and really different because I, I don't, it, to my knowledge, and I'm sure there are. So I don't want to—I don't want to overspeak and say that there's no other coffee sours out there, but it's one of the only ones I know of that's um, 
that that's kind of gone through that process. So very, very unique. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of that stone fruit more than anything else on that. Yeah, uh, dark um, fruit, little tartness, and some super dark. Yeah, sour cherry. Yeah, is. that's what I get. Yeah, yeah, you'll yeah. definitely get a lot of that, and that's it, that's definitely off of the off of the coffee bean. That's interesting because I'm I'm not the coffee nerd in the show, Tim, and and uh, our friend Brian is also the the big coffee people. But uh, that's interesting that you can get that uh, from a coffee note because yeah. I'm not getting the traditional coffee flavor from this as much. You can get right. the cherry and the stone fruit, and uh, what is it, Brian, that gives a lot of blueberry? Is it Ethiopian? Uh, the Kenyan oh. typically does Kenyan? a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of uh, the blueberry. And the one thing I've noticed about, and I've had some barrel aged coffees that I brewed as coffee, they do get very sweet and very caramely. Yes. So. Uh, you lose some of the uh, the edge, maybe, of the coffee, and it's replaced a little bit by the whiskey. Awesome. Depending on the you whiskey. Know, I don't know if we've introduced Brian on Drink This Beer. We probably didn't, we? actually. So Brian's the latest team member of the Beer Guys Radio team. Brian and I go back a long ways. We homebrewed together for many years, smoke cigars, hang out, hike back in the day before we started brewing. So uh, Brian's the newest team member, so yeah. welcome to the team, Brian. Right. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of home brewing, of course, much like every other professional brewer we've talked to, uh, you basically started home brewing uh, before you were of age to br- drink the beer. Is that correct? Um, <laughs> He's like, like oh, first, sure, bring that up. No, well, <laughs> I've had I've had my son, who's thirteen, help me brew, so it's okay. I, I'm you're in good hands right there. <laughs> he brewed, but he didn't drink it until he's he twenty-one. Did not he drink aged it. Exactly. it. That's that's the that's aging. right. That's yes. right. Yeah. No, actually. Um, well, I got started, I think the first batch I brewed, I actually was 21. Okay. Um, but uh, I think I was around I was around when my uncle was brewing when I was younger. So I remember seeing it. I, I remember being, you know, um, turned on by it. I'm like, man, I really want to get into that at some point. And uh, I, I think I actually was 21 because this, be, this would be 99, I think, was the first time I brewed a batch. Yeah, so it's funny because, you know, I think when you're younger like that, you don't have the attention span. Because I know my son yeah. is like, he's really interested in me. He can drop the hops in. That's really exciting. But then you got to, okay, we got to wait 90 minutes. And he's like, okay, I'm off doing something else. He's like, okay, yeah. he's yeah. off. Exactly. Off to the races, yeah. Set a timer and head out. There man. you go. So that's it, yeah. So, so yeah, so now, um, did you have the, the craft beer bug? And, and when you first started brewing by yourself, did you think that this was something that you could go pro in? I'll be honest with you. I, no, no. I, <laughs> no. I, I think it, <laughs> I was just I was just trying to, to, to make sure I could, I could uh Produce something that uh, you know my friends or, or family would would uh, would consume. So uh, for me, it was always a fight because back then, you know, craft beer, the craftiest of the craft beer at that time was maybe Sierra Nevada Pale Ale, yeah, right, you know, or, or maybe Anchor Steam. There was no, you know, the, the, the beers we see today didn't exist, you know. <clears throat> yeah, most of them. I yeah, mean, exactly. It was, it was yeah. super limited back in those days. Absolutely. Right. So, so what was your first batch of homebrew? Do you recall? I do actually. I think the first batch I brewed was an Anchor Steam Club. Okay, um, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it was awful. Um, <laughs> yeah. I do remember that. That seems a but, common uh, theme with the first batch of <laughs> yeah. brew. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if you got if you got a great teacher, my uncle was a great teacher. He just he got sidetracked. I mean, we oh, were sitting yeah. around. He's like, "Hey, you got to do this. You do this." And I, I think he had one too many beers and forgot to tell me important things like, "Hey, you, uh, you got to take the hops out, you know, before you add it in the fermenter." And, right. Uh, important steps like, "Hey, you got to pick the yeast after it's been cooled," you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, the, Brian, the, the very basic things. And Brian and Tim are more homebrewers than I. I brewed a couple of batches with my dad, and I'm terrible as well. But it's funny. We've got a friend who brewed his first homebrew, and like I think he won like a silver medal in the first. He the did first time. the very first beer he ever brewed, which took is ridiculous. Silver medal in a competition. Yeah, absolutely. And ridiculous. he's a brewer at one of our hottest breweries down here now, so it worked. Really? Out no. yeah. Which one is that? Uh, Scofflaw. 
Okay. You okay. familiar with those guys? I, I'm not, no. But, uh, you know, you see, I see names pop up all the time. I feel like yeah. there's a reopening every day. Well, well, since you did a great job setting us beer, maybe we should send you some Scofflaw back. Yeah, that'd be great, man. Absolutely. I always, always like getting some beer. There you go. There you go. So now, speaking of great beer, Cincinnati, uh, it's had a rich brewing history over the years, mm-hmm. you know, kind of on the confluence of the rivers and a really good time. Um, is it coming back? As a brewing town? As a beer town? Yeah, yeah, it is. I think it's happening pretty much everywhere. I mean, as far as it going back to its roots, I mean, this was traditionally a German lager city. Uh, We're not really seeing any of that. It's it's kind of the, you know, the craft, excuse me, the craft wave. Um, So, you know, a lot of of IPAs, things of this nature. I think Cincinnati still, and I love this city, but I think Mark Twain said it best that, you know, when the world's coming to an end, I'm coming to Cincinnati because it's not going to happen for four years. (laughs) Um, Whereas, you know, some of the other areas, and we've been selling beer in, like, Florida and Massachusetts, some of these other outlying areas, and, you know, like, for us, sours really took off. And in those areas, you know, we're just, we're killing it. Uh, Cincinnati's a little slower to catch on to that. Uh, Cincinnati still does a great job. They've, they've got some great beers, but... You know, to them, I, I, you know, I'm a reference here in Atlanta, but like Sweetwater, you know, they've been out for a while and, and really making some, some powerful IPAs. And, you know, people have become accustomed to that up in this neck of the woods. That's just kind of now catching on. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Sure. So, yeah, it, it isn't a bit of a renaissance, but I still think it's a little bit behind some of the other areas. Now, Jason, you actually have a pretty solid connection to a Georgia brewery, correct? Uh, I do. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So I believe that your brewmaster is part of a Georgia steady hand. And they do yeah. some contract brewing with you guys, correct? They do, yes. Awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, Good we just had him there. up, uh, Brian Brian Sullivan, just had him up, uh, oh, yeah. God, two weeks ago? Cool, yeah, yeah. they're uh, they're getting uh, getting going here, yeah. getting their beers yeah. out, real active, getting out of the vents and stuff, so... So yeah, now we yeah. cool see those connections. Yeah, now that we laws have changed here, you know, of course you had that uh, really back when you started taking off when the Ohio law changed, uh, allowing the direct sales. We're just seeing that, of course, across parts of the deep south. Uh, Alabama last year, Mississippi, right. and here in Georgia this year, starting soon. Um, is that something that really kind of helped you propel into to where you are right now? That really, I'm, I'm sorry, I kind of broke up there for a second. Oh, no before, uh, Was questioning it. Uh, basically, yeah. Did uh, the uh, did the laws basically changing to make you uh, to, to allow direct direct sales really help you take off uh, in your business? Um, <clears throat> you know it. For us, no, not so much, um, because back when we started, um, and Rivertown started in 2009, um, there weren't any other breweries here in Cincinnati. There was, there was one other small mom-and-pop brewery. Uh, there was another one that, uh, that, was, that was contract brewing somewhere else. Uh, so we were one of only two. So we kind of had to change our model, our business model, real early. So we looked for distribution right out of the gate. We tried to get into large, the large chains like Kroger, Publix, uh, you mm-hmm. know, th- those types of places, uh, because that was really the only avenue to sell beer. So we built our whole business around a distribution model. When that all changed in 2012, for us, we had already picked a very poor retail location because we were trying to keep our overhead low. Sure. Again, we were looking for distribution. We wanted good access to water, good access to highways. So we, we picked a neighborhood that was not really um, um, a, a high traffic area, yeah. for lack of better words. Uh, so when we did, when they did change the laws, I mean, we, we certainly got folks in and, you know, we would advertise tours and things of this nature, but we didn't see the same hype that some of the other local breweries did, mostly because of our location. Now we've recently moved to our new Monroe facility, and of course, you know, we're killing it. We see lots of people up that way. It's, it's right on a major highway, and, and, you know, that's a whole different deal. So certainly, I think it, it, it definitely improved the community. Uh, a lot of the breweries grew. Uh, we've got a couple of breweries that were kind of you know, in their infancy when all that took place um, here in Cincinnati is one's Ryan Geist and Mad Tree. Um, those yeah. guys have done really, really well and have 
obviously pick locations that, that worked for that. You're nice. listening to the Drink This Beer Craft Beer Podcast. We are talking to Jason Roper of Rivertown Brewing. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back to talk and drink more beer in just a minute. More Drink This Beer with Tim and Aaron coming up after this. Here at Drink This Beer, we love to bring you the stories behind the craft beer and brewers that you love. And we'd be grateful if you took the time out to check out our Patreon site. It's at patreon.com slash beerguys. If you choose to become one of our donors, we would really appreciate it. Plus, you get some awesome swag, including t-shirts, glasses, stickers, and some more stuff that's coming down the pike. Thanks for listening to Drink This Beer, part of the Beer Guys Radio Network. Tell a friend and head to patreon.com slash beerguys. Cheers. Welcome back to Drink This Beer with your hosts, Tim and Aaron. And welcome back to Drink This Beer, the podcast uh, all about craft beer. We are talking to Rivertown Brewing's Jason Roper. So thanks again for joining us today. We appreciate it. Oh, no, thanks for having me. Definitely. Now, you know, we talked earlier about uh, you've got two locations now, the one in Lachlan, mm-hmm. and now you've got a brand new one in Monroe. Is it Monroe? That's right. Okay, good. That's I, right, Monroe. I, look, That's look, right. look at that. Look at, I'm, I'm, I'm a genius when it comes to <laughs> pronouncing names. <laughs> Just open this year. You've got, uh, but uh, the Lachlan location, of course, is kind of your old school video pinball games location, kind of your Correct. production facility. But it looks like your Monroe location actually has a kitchen. So is that yeah. a little bit of a different uh, tack for you guys? Yeah, this is, uh, well, again, you know, coming from our Lachlan location, which was a, uh, really, we started there with a little 2,000 square foot uh I don't want to call it hole in the wall. It really wasn't. It's just a little segment of a large industrial park. And, uh, you know, we, as, as we kind of continued to grow and, and grow our distribution, we started kind of punching holes in the wall and continuing to take over our neighbor's spot. And you know, we grew from 2,000 square feet to almost 16,000 square feet uh, until we just ran out of room. I mean, we literally went to one end of the building. It's like we had nowhere else to go. So uh, we knew pretty quickly that we'd have to start looking at either building something or trying to find another facility. Um, Fortunately for us here in Cincinnati, and it will unfortunate for other breweries, um, our local sewer district made that decision very easy. Uh, they started imposing some pretty crazy, 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 um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, taxes and levies on the uh, sewer system. So our water bill was going to jump up a hundred grand a year. I'm wow. like, well, no, this is not going to work. Yeah. So <laughs> we started looking outside the county, and uh, we decided, you know, if we're going to we're going to do it right, we have to build. Uh, so, you know, we had talked with so many different breweries, so many different architects, so many different designers. And it was like, you know what, this is, these are all the different elements we want. We wanted to keep that family friendly, you know, location tap room. We're obviously right off of a major highway. We're going to get a lot of tourism. Uh, we're also going to see people that are going to come and want to spend a day with us. Well, we obviously have to think about food. We have to think about environment. Um, so we knew really early on that we wanted to do a full restaurant, uh, also have some catering, be able to do special events. Uh, so, the restaurant that we put in uh, is capable of serving. We have uh, 287 seats inside, and then we can seat another 150 on the patio. So the brewery itself, the new location, can seat almost 500 people. That's between inside and outside. Uh, it's sitting on an additional eight acres of land. Um, we designed the brewery to work in the production space, but yet still be visible to our guests. So as you sit at our bar, we have 30, 30 taps on the inside, 24 taps on the outside. Um, you can actually look up on the brew deck. Uh, we put in a brand new 50-barrel uh, state-of-the-art, fully automatic uh, J.B. Northwest brew house. Um, <clears throat> and, then of course, we have 200 and 100-barrel fermentation tanks. So that's kind of what you're peering out into from the uh, restaurant area. And as you go around to our gift shop, 
which is which is a uh, experience in itself. It's a it's a pretty large gift shop. You can actually see our, our entire production line, and we have a, a 72 head bottle filler. Uh, that's we run about 250 to 300 bottles a minute um, on that side. So we're, we're capable of some pretty serious production um, out of that facility. It also uh, we also have a 4,000 square foot walk-in uh, that's 30 foot high ceilings. So as far as you know, keeping and, and holding product back for our wholesalers, it makes distribution a lot easier. Um, we really just from from front to back, and this facility is 31,000 square feet. From front to back, it was designed to be a brewery. All the floors are sloped. Um, you know, the, the whole back of the house is insulated, everything's washed down, um, all of the pipes are actually in the walls. I mean, it's, it is a very, very nice facility. It's very well thought out. Now, Jason, you mentioned you just expanded. You said a 50-barrel brew house. Is that right? Correct. That's right. Well, that's a big one. We just had a local brewery here put in a 50-barrel, and it's uh, mm-hmm. the brewmaster joked that he was just going to put a couch and video games and TV up on the deck because it was just <laughs> such a, a huge thing. You know, we've got a lot of 20 barrels and 30 barrels here, but uh, right. that's a big jump going to that. And with that, you've increased your annual capacity, I believe, to 150,000 barrels? That's correct. So how close are you going to get to that this year? Oh, uh, we won't be anywhere near there. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, in all seriousness, we we occupied that we got occupancy on January twentieth, uh, which is when we opened the restaurant. We got the brew house in. Uh, it was a piece together in February, March. So we're still, you know, we just started getting beer down the line uh, from start half of this year. I'm sorry, uh, uh, so, Jason. We just we just broke up here. Could you? Uh, oh, sorry, yourself? sorry, sorry. That's okay. No worries. No, no, no. Um, no what I was saying was is this uh, year. Uh, in terms of production, getting we everything lost online. Again, Jason. Yeah, we're getting, we're sorry. getting a bad signal there. Sorry. That's okay. Can Let's you hear me try now? it again. Yep. Okay. Uh, no, what I was saying was, is we lost about a quarter of our production this year, uh, primarily to install everything up and running. Uh, we didn't get occupancy in our new building until January 20th. Okay. We really weren't uh, even running the restaurant effectively until February. So we've really only been open there for a couple of months, and we've only just started getting some beer off the line finally. So yes, yeah, so you're trying to get kind of get your uh, feet feet wet uh, under the ground and uh, trying to make things up and running before you can really start cranking that's right. this facility. Yeah, that's so, right. So yeah, you now, got it. now you've also increased your distribution footprint, and uh, you've been in mm-hmm. Georgia where uh, Drink This Beer is located Correct. for about a year or so now. Uh, what's been your reception mm-hmm. so far? Uh, it's been great. Uh, we were with a very very small uh, distribution uh, house, R and R. Who yeah. uh, they just they just consolidated and then went with um, uh, Republic National, um, NDC. So um, that has given us uh, that's kind of opened the door a little bit. So uh, you know as we continue to grow our portfolio, bring in new brands, um, it just gives us the ability to uh, get more in the state um, as, as their pockets. You know they got deeper pockets for lack of better words. Yeah. So purchasing a lot of that inventory to get it out on the shelves is important. Uh, some of the, some of the smaller mom and, mom and pop boutique accounts, although fa- our distributors, although fantastic and, and, and we love dealing with them, it makes, it makes getting some of that beer out difficult. Um, and by no fault of their own, but it's not really, it's not really conducive for them to go out and spend a hundred grand in inventory and sit on it and try and, you know, move through it. You caught us mid drink. We were I'm both sorry. drinking at the time there, so yeah, let's let's do this oh, again. So, how many beer guys does it take to open a beer bottle? Yes, all of them, all of them. So, uh, Jason, about two years ago, you uh, rebranded. So, That's right. uh, what was the importance of that? Well, constantly, you know, we we've had so many. Hey, Jason, we didn't we didn't get any of that, unfortunately. Okay, we've had many different styles of beers we've produced over the years. 
German lagers, pale ales, porters, stouts. Um, and we wanted to kind of st- take a step back and focus on what we're really good at. And that's, in our opinion, were, were the sour beers. Mm. So as part of that rebrand, that refresh, we wanted to reintroduce everything and, and kind of showcase those different types of beers. Uh, so with that, we um, took away was, was the old uh, iconic paddle wheel we had on our original logo, which had a paddle wheel boat um, that was uh, actually, the photograph was taken uh, here on the Ohio River. And it, it didn't really speak to uh, the different areas we were selling our beer in. Uh, especially in Florida, for example, um, where they don't know what the hell a steamboat is. I mean, yeah. they're used to not seeing a lot of paddle boats in, and yeah, a sea ray. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. A paddle boat sea ray. That'd be fun. That'd ski be boat, fun. A paddle ski boat. <laughs> yes, exactly. Paddle ski boat, yeah. I could see those guys in Miami Beach doing it. So <laughs> so you were saying that you were into the, the wild and the, the sours. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I read somewhere that you won the uh, Sam Adams long shot uh, competition back in – was it 2007? I for, uh, I think, yes. Was it an unblended lambic? Is that right? That's right. It, it, That's right. That was a homebrew recipe, I assume, at that point? or It was. I yeah. had actually brewed that beer back originally in 2003. Oh, and, wow. um, yeah, so I had I was sitting on it, and to be honest with you, this is this uh, a few years back prior to opening Rivertown, I was working, I was a, I was a financial analyst. And uh, I lost my job. Yeah. I was a financial analyst. I'm, you hear me? No, no, I'm I'm sorry that you were a financial it's, analyst. Oh, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's those days where it's like, well, I just miss crushing numbers, but I'll never, I'll never miss <laughs> not go. not being in the beer business. There but, you go. Um, any rate, so I the position I was with, uh, that I lost my job, and at the time I was sending all of my beers off to these homebrew competitions. You know the the national homebrew competition in Boulder and, you know, or they would, they would set it up in Colorado or, or I'm sorry, California or wherever it was. And I really could not justify to my wife that I was going to be sending off all these entries, paying all of these fees and dues and entry fees. And so that long shot competition popped up and it was free. And fortunately, Sam Adams is right here in Cincinnati. Okay. So I, I took a box of all my homebrewed beers and I was just kind of throwing, you know, different ones in and, I uh, took it down and <clears throat> didn't think anything more of it. Uh, a few months later, I got a phone call that uh, said, hey, you know, um, are you sitting down? I thought to myself, well, should I be? <laughs> and they said, well, you know, you were one of our finalists in the, in the Boston uh, uh, beer competition. I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, get the freak out of here. I'm, I'm trying to remember what friends I had told the story to. I thought they're, jer- they're jerking my chain. Yeah. And, uh, no, it was it was real. So they uh, – they, Flew me out. I met Jim Cook. Uh, went to the went to the Great American Beer Festival. He introduced me to so many people in the industry. Um, it was really amazing how tied in he was. Uh, but he was really uh, impressed because he's from Cincinnati. So he's like, "I'm so excited! I've got a, a native Cincinnatian that won the couple that, that's here. That's one of the finalists." Blah blah blah. So he was introducing me to people like Dan Carey from New Glarus. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other people I met through him. There was, there was quite a few. I, I obviously I was a big fan of Dan Carey, so I yeah. kind of hung around him for a little bit and. He ended up forging a relationship with him, and uh, through the years we stayed in touch. And uh, you know, he was really for me a motivator in sour beers. So I would actually send some of my beers over to him. He would send them back to me. He would give me some critique, uh, and he actually had me sit on a board meeting with them uh, to discuss some of the some of the things I did to make the the lambic and the wild ales, which was very interesting. I, I couldn't understand why a large brewery like that would want to talk to a home brewer. 
And the more I learned as I got into professional brewing is that, well, when you're making sour beers, it is like home brewing. There really isn't, you know, yeah. a, uh, a set guideline with set hoses and, and regimens and production schedules, and everything's based on the barrels and how quickly they can turn. So, at any rate, the, the same Adam's long shot thing, the beer never was uh, released in the bottles, uh, as I knew they couldn't do that. Because yeah, that I was beer was say, four years lambic, that, that wouldn't be one they could produce like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So they brought back, they ended up giving me the prize money, uh, but they, they, they uh, took back a beer that a gentleman had won, I think, in 06, but there was that hop shortage. Oh, yeah, okay. So I think it was Tasty McDowell or something like that. He had an IPA. They brought back his IPA and produced it in the six-pack that year. Okay. Now, 2003, brewing an unblended Lamic, I mean, that was uh, almost unheard of at that I was going to say, that's, right? all, that's a way out there, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, for me, it was I, I didn't start off saying, oh, God, I'm going to get into making Lambics. It, it all started for me. My wife at the time was uh, really into, I, well, she hated beer. But I could convince her to drink, uh, of all things, that uh, Lindemann's Frambois. Ah, that's, my, that's I, my wife, too. I, I, I get you, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you understand. If I'd have known back then that all I had to do was go purchase some raspberry syrup, uh, some lactic acid, <laughs> dump it into Coors Light, I probably wouldn't be talking to you about sours today. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I set out on this path to make this beer to get her to drink beer. And uh, I ended up with this wonderful libation that she absolutely wouldn't go anywhere near. I had, I actually had a better shot of getting her to drink Coors Light. Um, but I was, I was just fascinated by it because I was like, wow, this is really different. This is, you know, and I'm reading all this, this, this stuff about these beers because remember, this stuff was not in the limelight. So getting Cantillon, uh, you know, uh, Tre Fontana, any of those, they didn't exist. Yeah, back, know, back in the um, day, back in those days, they were they were quote unquote shelf turds. I mean, you couldn't, you could, you know, they weren't there. I mean, it's just something right. no, there's no market for. Yeah, that's right, that's right. So everything for me was reading out of books. So as I read, and I'm like, wow, you know, they talk about you know horse blanket and and uh, and farmhouse aromas and all these different things. I was just like, wow, all this stuff's coming through in this beer. So I just became fascinated by them. So I was making more and more and more and more of them. You know, trying to trying to uh, mimic these different different types. You know, unblended. Uh, I started tried working on goose. Uh, I had done some creeks, and um, anyway, that's kind of how I got into it. It all started over that silly little beer, and uh, to, uh, fourteen years later, <laughs> I'm still into them. There so, <laughs> so this is this is one a highly debated beer style here, but I believe one of your popular seasonals is your pumpkin ale, right? Uh, yeah, and we actually discontinued it. Oh, okay. I was, you know what? That's I was actually yeah. going to ask. We've seen a lot of breweries that did. You just you get sick of doing a pumpkin beer? Or did demand decline? Or well, like anything else, I mean, demand declines when when uh, <clears throat> you know when they're when they're when the market's saturated, right? Yeah, uh, you know, and and we saw this a lot even with coffee companies. I mean, Starbucks and all these other coffee companies were coming out with pumpkin this, pumpkin that. I think there was even. Uh, pumpkin toast cereal. You know, it's like, all right, that just. Unfortunately, yes, there it. was. Yeah. <laughs> there was a pumpkin spice crouton salad bag at Trader Joe's. That's horrible. Uh, that's, that's yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's when you know something's just hit its peak. And we, yeah. we, you know, the forecasts were always coming in wrong from the wholesalers. Back in the day, they couldn't get enough. Yeah. And they were always undershooting. And then, you know, uh, by about 2015, you know, we would, they were forecasting, you know, 17,000 cases. And so we would produce 17,000 cases, and we were buying back 4,000 of them. Oh, I'm like, this is crazy. you know. And then it was like, all right, well, the next year we want it by May. You know, Let's get it out and get it out in front of everybody and blah, blah, blah. So, of course, we hit all their deadlines. We absolutely broke our necks to do it. 
And, you know, it wasn't as bad, but still, you know, we, because we chopped everything back thinking, well, if they hit that, we, we're, the, we're, the, we're that type that's like, hey, let's not, let's not overthink it. So the next year we went at 100% of their previous year's sales and we still lost. I'm like, this is just not worth it. No. You know, so let's not get into this. Kill so the we, pumpkin beers. That's what we did. <laughs> there we, you so go. We're not going to do it anymore. So what we do now is we actually get away with seasonal completely. Okay. Um, we only do limited edition. So during the year we'll put out limited edition styles of beer. Uh, it's forever changing. So it will not be like, hey, we're going to put out a light fruity beer in the summer and we're going to do, you know, a, a triple IPA in the winter. And, you know, we're, we're not following any schedules at all. You could end up with a light Berliner in the middle of winter. You could end up with a heavy triple Russian Imperial Stout in the middle of the summer. You're a wild man, Jason. We have to be. <laughs> out of control. <laughs> out of control. Excellent. <laughs> Jason Roper, uh, owner of uh, Rivertown Brewing, thanks so much for joining us on Drink This Beer. Oh, we appreciate it. Thanks Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Definitely. Thank you. All right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Drink This Beer. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. More beer stories? Head to beerguysradio.com. Follow the Beer Guys on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Want more craft beer news? Listen to the Beer Guys Radio Show, available every Saturday morning. Drink This Beer, produced and developed by Tim Dennis and Aaron Williams, part of the Beer Guys Media Radio Network, beerguysradio.com.